Good evening, everyone. Uh, Whilst Seth has been leading, I've been, like many others, there on Zoom, and it's been nice to see who we're joining together with as we worship. Now, I asked the musicians on Friday, could I slip in an extra hymn that um, uh, they weren't expecting, and they gave me permission. So we're going to sing again in a minute. And it's a hymn that isn't very well known at all. In fact, I don't remember ever singing it before myself. Why have I chosen it? Well, it connects in with... uh, the people that Hazel prayed for. I didn't know she was going to be praying for the Cook family, but it's a hymn written by Paul Cook. And just a reminder for those who, uh, which is probably most people listening, don't know who Paul Cook was. He was a minister in Shepshed. He's had quite an influence on um, some of the older people in the church. And actually, I remember as a child hearing one of his sermons that was quite an influence on me. And this hymn Uh, by Paul Cook is about experiencing Christ and meditating on Christ. And I thought it may be helpful to us singing it now, remembering the author is now with Christ and seeing Christ. And that's quite some thought as we sing this hymn. So let's sing again now. See the prince 
Now, I expect that quite a few people listening are familiar with the story Les Miserables. It's a story. It's also a musical. And the story was written by a French author called Victor Hugo. And as well as writing that famous story, he also wrote this, much shorter than the story. It's just one sentence. Life's greatest happiness is to know that you are loved. What do you think of that? Victor Hugo said, life's greatest happiness is to know that you are loved. I reckon you can make a good case for that being true. Love certainly matters so much to us. Uh, So much art and literature, so many films, songs, books have been about love. Where did love come from? How can we become loving? Well, let's get the answer now from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Would you come with me to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12, as we continue our series through 1 John? I was, uh, this is an illustration I've used before, but I think it bears using again. I was once around someone's house for Sunday lunch. Uh, this was in Los Angeles, actually. I'm not a jet-setting person, but I was in Los Angeles once. And uh, around the house of these people in the suburbs of Los Angeles, they were clearly very well off. And they had this water feature in their garden that must have been about 20 feet tall. I'm not very good at estimating. I'd guess 20 feet tall. A fountain at the top, and it flowed down a waterfall into a little pool. And that pool overflowed. Uh, another waterfall was created into the pool below and that flowed down into another pool below and down it went I can't remember how many times and there were children climbing up it and jumping into the pools but that's beside the point the point was this cascade flowing from one pool into the other it was impressive and it stuck in my mind as a picture of God and of his love flowing from him to us And through us. And that's what I hope we're going to see now from 1 John 4 verses 7 to 12. God's love overflowing from him to us and then through us. Uh, So let's follow that flow now. If you've got the notice sheet that went out with the emails, that will help you. And I've tried to represent there that cascade flowing, flowing, flowing down. And we'll start with. Here's the top of the cascade. God is love. Verse 8, 1 John 4, verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is the fountainhead. This is where love starts before it flows anywhere else. There will be no love unless it came from here. God is love. That's a famous phrase. But have you thought about what an odd phrase it is? God is love. We can understand if it said God is loving. Or if it says that God does love, but God is love. We can understand it saying God is spirit. It's hard to understand, but we can at least think we get there. God is holy. Again, that's hard to understand, but at least it makes some sense to us. But God is love. Would you ever say of a person, Stacy is love? Doesn't make much sense. How can it be said of God, God is love? Well, the answer is God is three persons. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Three persons in relationship. God has always been three persons. Those three persons have always loved each other. Probably the Bible's keenest writer on this is John himself. In fact, his gospel keeps on telling us about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and how they've been together forever and loved each other and their relationship with each other. 
And that's how the Bible can say God is love. And that's how come there is such a thing as love. That is the fountainhead because that's where all love originates. Uh, Let's consider that by comparing it with some alternatives. What if there was just one God on his own? Well, there is only one God, but one God in one person, just like Islam claims. There he was for eternity past, uncreated, always there on his own. Well, he was either miserable and needy, so he needed us, or totally impersonal. Such a God, well, love couldn't have come from him. So let's try another option. What if there were many gods, like Hinduism claims? Well, if you dig a bit deeper behind religions that claim there are lots of gods, and I've asked the Hindu about this, you find actually these many gods are just a layer there representing one being behind them all who's so supreme, who's so distant, who's so unknowable, you have these intermediaries. In Hinduism, hundreds of millions of them. And you can know a bit of them because there's this one behind them all who's unknowable. Well, love couldn't have come from such a distant, unknowable God. Well, what if instead we just do without God? Instead of an eternal person, there's just been eternal matter. Because, of course, they're the only two options. There's either an eternal person who made the matter. Or there's just been eternal matter, always here, stuff, just always here. And then through a merely physical process, that stuff has become us humans. And that would mean that everything about us is just just a result of evolution. And so what we call love, what's that? Well, it's just a it's just a process. It's just chemicals in inside us getting us to feel a certain way. Because that helps the species keep going, whether it's feeling towards someone of the opposite sex or it's feeling towards your offspring. It keeps the well, or feeling towards your neighbours. Well, that helps keep the species going. In other words, without God, there's there's no such thing really as persons, let alone love. There's just lots of chemicals, some pretty complicated ones, but just chemicals. Love could only originate from the God who is three in one, personal. And by the Spirit, the Father there at the top of that fountain is always pouring out love on his Son. But then that love pours down further. So let's move down the cascade and we next get God poured out his love on us. You see, you could say about what I've just said, well, that sounds really good, but it sounds very theoretical. How am I supposed to know it's true? How am I supposed to see this love? And the answer is in the next verse. Verse nine. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. There is God and he pours out love on his son. But he pours out love then on us. It flows down the cascade to us by sending his one and only son. This is the subject of eternity, but let's just spend a few minutes on it. Uh, Let's think about it this way. As Christmas approaches fairly soon, there are going to be more charity ads on the TV. I presume there always are. And they say things like this. Just two pound a month will help this person in need. 
And you can give without even getting up from your sofa by just texting this number. And it only needs to be £2 a month. In other words, they're saying, you don't need much sacrifice. You can help without making much sacrifice. But the emphasis here is, God, what God gave truly was love, because it cost him. It's God giving sacrificially. God is love and the greatest, the most deep love, the most committed love in the whole universe is the love the father. And yet he sent him. He didn't create an angel to do the job for him. But he sent the eternal son he'd always been one with. And what did he send him for? Let's move on to verse 10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let's go back to those charity ads at Christmas. Here's one I saw um, probably a couple of years ago. It was by Save the Children Fund, and it was wanting you to give money towards children devastated by war in Syria. And very sensibly, they showed this boy. He was so photogenic. He was so smiling. He looked really friendly. He looked like the boy that you'd want to know and you'd want to give money to. That's sensible because they don't get money by showing you a sulky, miserable brat, do they? That's not going to help their cause. But verse 10 tells us God loved people who arouse his anger. How do I know that? Well, look at verse 10. It says he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What does atoning sacrifice mean? You might, like me, have a footnote that tells you some more detail of what it means. It means something to turn away his anger at sin. He did it for people who made him angry, but his love made him want to turn away that anger. And his love made him want to turn away that anger, even though it would cost him so much. It was so hard. Children, do you know this story? There was a farmer. And he'd suffered a fire and his crops had been burnt. And after his fields were devastated by fire, he's walking through them, inspecting them. And he sees ahead a dead bird on the ground. It's a female pheasant lying there burnt. And as he walks up to it, I suppose his footsteps are heard. And these little chicks all scurry out from underneath the female burnt pheasants. The mother surely could have got away from the fire, but her chicks couldn't. And so what did she do? She sat on them. And she covered them and the fire burnt her instead of them. The fire burnt her and passed over them and out they scurry alive and well. And that's what Jesus did for his people. Verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to shelter us from the wrath we deserve. By him taking it on himself so we would be free of it and welcome, loved, enjoy his family. Think of that water feature. The love of God flows from the father to the son and from the son it flows to us. And as that water pours on us, we were just think of the water feature. We were just dead, dry, hollow of rocks. But as the water flows into us. We become a living pool. Look at the end of verse nine. 
God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. As the water pours into the dry rocks that are us, a living pool springs up. And so he, this is the next part of the cascade, he makes us loving. He makes us loving. How does this love of God poured into us make us loving? Well, our passage actually tells us three ways. I wonder if you spotted three ways as we read it. Three ways it makes us loving. First, by being born of God. Verse seven. Verse seven. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. God's love is poured into us and we're born again and we're born of God. God's the God's the father who gives us his life. And that means we must become like him. Children, what characteristics do you inherit from your parents? You might not realise them. Probably other people can see them better, but there will be some. Maybe you have a similar skin colour to them or eye colour or hair colour. Maybe you don't notice this, but other people see you have similar facial expressions or mannerisms. Sometimes children even walk and carry themselves in a way that's just like a grandparent they never met. Maybe their grandfather died before they were born. And and someone says, oh, you're just like your grandfather. And it's not through copying him. They never met him. It's inherited from him. The Christian is born of God. God has given a new heart, a new nature, new life. And of course, it's going to come from and be like the God who gave it. The God who is love. So, of course, of course, this is inescapable. It's going to make us loving. Before I move on to the second way God makes us loving, I must comment on a difficulty you might have noticed in verse seven. I'm sure this will have made you wonder, won't it? It says everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. What do you make of that? Everyone who loves has been born of God. If you're like Michael Curry, do you remember Michael Curry? He was the man who preached at Harry and Meghan's wedding. If you're like him, you say, well, no problem at all. No problem. No, whatever you believe, whatever you believe, if you love in any way, you're a child of God. If you're at the opposite end of the spectrum, an evangelical hard man, you're saying there's no problem. No, because there's not an ounce of love in anyone who doesn't agree with my doctrines 100 percent. Now, I'm caricaturing both ways. But the Bible's less simplistic. And it says, actually, God made people with natural affections. That's the Bible's terms, natural affections for family, for friends, for people who are part of your life, for people you've got to know. There's such a thing as natural affection for them. You'll find the phrase, for example, in Romans one, where it says it's a massive sign of God's judgment if people lack natural affections, because it's just normal for humans made by God in his image. And God made people with a sort of love that flows from sexual attraction. But 1 John 4 is not talking about those sorts of love. The quality of love that will that it's talking about here and that we'll think about in a minute is a quality of love only found in those who are born of God. Let's move on to another way that God makes us loving is by knowing him. Verse eight, verse eight, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. And if you know him, you'll become like him. 
which means to be loving. Why would knowing God make us like him? Well, I'll give a little example, which I think will resonate with the older people listening, but I think the younger people will probably get as well. When I was a child, my my mother was listening to a sermon on tape, which obviously dates things. It must have been the early 80s. And I remember hearing this preacher and saying, oh, that's Mr. Lawrence preaching. Mr. Lawrence was a man who used to come to our church. And she said, oh, no, it's not. It's a preacher you've never met called Martin Lloyd-Jones. Now, the older people know what was going on here, probably. You see, Martin Lloyd-Jones was this man who was such a dominant person, such a respected preacher, that the group of preachers who knew him, including this man, Mr. Lawrence, they tended to copy him. And some of it maybe was even unintentional. They tended to speak like him and their phrases were like him and their mannerisms were like him because he was a dominant character. And that tends to happen when you get to know a dominant character. You pick up their ways, even if you don't realize it. And sometimes you purposely copy them. Now, often a person being dominant is unattractive. But when it's God and he is love. Well, it's it's a good job that he's dominant. And so knowing him will make us like him, loving. Here's a third way that God makes us loving, showing us his love. Verse nine. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son. Verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Seeing God's love. Seeing it there in him sending his son, seeing it there at the cross, it should amaze us. It should put us down on our knees. It should flabbergast us. It should motivate us. It should make us say, that's what I want to be like. And so make us loving. That third one won't happen without the first, by the way. You need the first one being born of God before seeing Jesus will will actually make you loving. Born of God, knowing God, seeing his love in Jesus. God is love. God the Father's love pours out on his son. It overflows to us. It makes us loving. And next, the water flows further down the cascade to this. We pour out love to others. This is where the whole section started. Verse seven. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. It's flowed down from God. Now let's make it flow out from us to others. Or verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, since his love's poured out on us, we also ought to love one another. We ought to pour it out further. Don't stop it in yourself. It will become a stagnant pool. No, let it flow. Let it flow out to others. We've been told God has made you loving. Now we're told... Be what God has made you. Do you see, it's, it's, John hasn't got in a muddle here. He hasn't said, now God's made you loving and then forgotten that and said, now come on, get on and be loved. No, he's saying, God has made you loving. Now be what God has made you. Our society says you can be whatever you want to be. I used to attend a youth club when I had these motivational films about people who'd achieved their dreams. And it was great stuff. But the message was you can be whatever you want to be. There are no limits. You can even choose whether you want to be male or female and you can be whatever you want to be. Well, we know it's not really true. The Bible is so much better. It says you can be what God has made you. 
You can be what God intends you to be. And if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you're trusting in him, God has made you loving. So pour that love out to others. You are now part of the cascade. So is the water God has poured into you cascading out to others? What's that like? Well, verse 11 tells us. Verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, we could easily misunderstand this word so because the way we use it in the English language has changed. We say I so like lime cheesecake, meaning I really like it loads. But that's an that's a pretty modern use of so. And it's not what was meant here when the Bible was translated into English. What it means here is. Since God in this way loved us. By the way, it's the same in John 3.16. It means since God in this way loved, we ought to in that way love others. Our love is to be like his. What's that like? Oh, massive subject. But briefly, what have we seen already tonight? We've seen his love is generous, giving, overflowing love. Our society talks a lot about love. But if you look carefully at what it's saying, it's tending to be about getting. Me getting a feeling, me getting an experience, me getting my sexuality expressed and fulfilled. That's not love. Getting isn't love. Love is about giving. Looking at others' need and giving towards it. God's love is costly. We've already seen that. He gave the most valuable thing he had. There was nothing so precious to him as his son. Real love gives in a costly way. Gives money. There's no lack of opportunities and need to give to in terms of money. Coming up to Christmas, we're going to be having an an appeal, God willing, for giving towards needy Christians and non-Christians in Beirut, devastated by the explosion. Already it's becoming apparent that there are some people in the church who have financial need, at least in part caused by coronavirus hitting the economy. There's plenty of opportunity to give. Give, It's not just money, though. It's effort. Taking the effort to think what actually would help this person in this situation. And a big one in our context is time. We are a society that's pretty rich in money and seems to often be poor in time. Giving time. Rosaria Champagne Butterfield, that's a wonderful name I've quoted many times before. Interesting character. She was a feminist. She was a lesbian. Uh, She was an academic at, I think it's called Syracuse University in America. I'm not sure if I've pronounced that rightly. And she was converted in quite strange circumstances. She had been the leader of her LGBT community. She's now very clear about the wrongs of that lifestyle. But she does say this in that community. They were very good at looking out for each other and making sure no one was lonely and giving time to each other. They made sure that every evening someone had an open home for anyone on their own to go to. So no one ever needed to be on their own. That's quite a remarkable challenge to us, isn't it? It's the church up to the standards of the LGBT community at Syracuse University, America. Do we give our time to others? It's home group this Thursday. 
Wouldn't home groups be quite a good avenue for this? They're not just a meeting to go to. They're a group to care for each other and to find out what other people's needs are and to not just see each other at home group, but to keep in touch with each other. You can't keep in touch with everyone in the church, but the home group could be a good avenue for doing that. By the way, it does mean, doesn't it, if you just turn up to the Bible study home group, because I get something from that, I get some teaching, but not to the prayer meeting home group, where it's not so much about getting, it's about giving, finding other people's needs and giving. Isn't that rather a contradiction of what we should be? Turn up to the one I get, but not the one I give. Or how about it doesn't have to be through the home groups. I think they'd be a good channel. But how about the church prayer calendar? Taking into account that there have been new people come since it was produced. Looking at it, seeing who might feel on their own. Get on the phone. Go and talk to them on their doorstep or in their home if you think that outweighs the risk. Because being on your own can actually outweigh the risk of getting an illness. Here's one other thing about God's love. It's for people so different from him. Because, of course, there's no one who's like him. It's for the sinners. It's for the enemies. And our love is to be not just for the people who are like us, but for the people you don't naturally click with. The people whose sins are different from yours. You've got sins and they've got sins, but maybe theirs are more noticeable to you because they're different from yours. The brother or sister who is awkward, you have to love them too. God is love. It pours out on his son. He pours it out on us. He makes us loving. We pour it out to others. And then here's the amazing conclusion. Here, in a sense, is the pool at the bottom of the cascade. Although, in a sense, we could say it flows out from this pool, too. You'll see in a minute. God's love is completed among us. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It is a shocking thing to say. God is love. He always has been. He has had eternity past enjoying Father, Son and Holy Spirit together. No lack in God. And yet the Bible, the word of God says his love is completed once it's flowed into this pool being displayed among his people, the church. The last two words in verse 12, in us, don't mean got inside us individually and hidden away in our hearts. It means in us, the church. In us, plural. It means love displayed among us. That's why I say it doesn't just pull there and stagnate. It really flows out to others because it's displayed to unbelievers to attract them in to receive this love. Because we're surrounded by people who look at a broken world and they say, isn't it said so often, how can I believe in a God of love when I look at this world? What's the answer? What's the answer when people say, how can I believe in this God I don't see? I do see a world that's broken. and I find it hard to believe in a God of love. What's the Bible's answer? I think there are two. Because there are two places where John admits no one's seen God, but then gives the answer. Do you remember two places? One is John 1 verse 18. 
No one has ever seen God, but the only one, the one and only Son has made him known. John says, yeah, no one's seen God. You look at this world and you'd find it hard to believe in a God of love, but look at Jesus. He has made known the God of love. But he then says something very similar in our verse 12. No one has ever seen God. Yeah, you look at this world and it's very hard to believe in a God of love. But Christians' love for each other makes him known. People look at the world and say, how can I believe in a God of love? But they ought to be able to look at the church and say, ah, now. Now I believe in a God of love. In the Roman Empire... As is well known, they threw the Christians to the lions. They took their entertainment from seeing Christians being torn apart and nailed to crosses and set on fire and used as candles. That was their entertainment. And the Christians suffered. And yet Christianity grew and grew. Because as well as people seeing the Christians suffer, they saw the Christians love. In fact, there was this saying, see how they love each other as the unbelievers looked at the community of believers. That is when God's love is made complete. That's the daring statement in verse 12. Why did John write verses 7 to 12? What was his purpose? Well, those who've been coming along and listening to this series know it's a letter of tests of whether you have eternal life. And yes, this is part of those tests. Love is one of those tests. It's a sign of whether you have eternal life. But actually, in verses 7 to 12, the emphasis has shifted a bit. It shifted onto verse 7, let us love one another. Verse 11, we ought. Now his emphasis is, this is what you are, so live it. This is what God has made you, so let's see it in practice. And that's the aim of this message this evening. Fellow Christians, God's overflowing love has flowed into you. Now make sure it flows out from you to others. Let's pray for that now. Father, thank you that your love has overflowed. It has poured generously into us. May we know more of that. Father, thank you. The Bible says the love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given us. So may we know more of his work pouring out your love into our hearts. And may we then pour it out to others. Father, show us practical, wise, effective ways that we can pour out love to others, including in this lockdown situation. And Father, may our life as a church, it's hard now because the church is effectively closed down, but still may our life as a church now and when we're able to get back together again, show the world there is a God of love. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.